You're listening to Accounted For, the Canadian podcast that explores the intangibles of every career. I'm your host, Daniel Lee. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Accounted For. This is a podcast that shares and inspires unconventional career journeys. Welcome back, everyone. Happy Wednesday. I hope you are being safe um, or staying safe. Is that the right word? Yeah, staying safe. Um, Don't go near anyone. Social distance, all that good jazz. I hope I can bring some entertainment to your ears today. And we'll start by going through today's conversation, which is with Terrence Kwok. He is the product manager at HyperComply. Terrence was one of the pivotal folks who actually recruited me to KPMG to start my accounting career back in the earlier days. It's been a while since then, and today we go through Terrence's journey from leaving accounting just before getting in, getting his chartered account designation to joining a young Vidyard before it became the current 150-plus person tech company it is now in an entry role in sales. We explore how he pivoted from sales to product management, working remotely in London, UK, while working for a company based out of Kitchener, and his subsequent journey being a digital nomad, product manager at Chili Piper and Hypercomply. This was a super fun conversation where we dove into what it was actually like to make each pivotal jump in terms of career and how shame, embarrassment, and doubt are all just really real and even normal emotions when you go through creating this kind of unconventional career for yourself. And so there's a bit of... uh, camaraderie that I experience as we talk about the kind of journey that we had to take after leaving the public accounting world. And something I want to caveat is just please forgive me on uh, places where the audio quality isn't just as great. Um, Just I think with COVID-19, Terrence has taken refuge in a hotel where the connection wasn't the best. And so we talked about that a little bit. But um, yeah, please forgive me on that. I tried my best to change the audio <laughs> quality, but I promise you it won't change how fun this conversation will be for you. And I really do hope that it's a fun, informative, and entertaining conversation. So without further ado, here's my chat with Terrence Kwok. Hey everyone, welcome back to Accounted For. Today on the podcast, we have Terrence Kwok. Hey Terrence, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me, Daniel. Terence here is the product manager at Hypercomply, and Terence, for our audience who may not be familiar with uh, the company, could you kind of give us a kind of brief overview of what Hypercomply is, what you guys do? Yeah, so Hypercomply is a is a startup, kind of based. Uh, we're kind of based all around the world right now, completely distributed. So we've got team members and and a team member in Sydney, uh, New York, and Toronto, and right now I'm currently in Edmonton. Um, what our company does is we help companies get through security questionnaires and info security reviews faster um, through a bit of automation. Um, so when, you know, depending on the, the audience here, if, they, if they're familiar with security questionnaires and sales cycles, uh, typically in a sales cycle, a company will receive an InfoSec review uh, before going into procurement where they have to make sure, you know, Data is being properly handled. That there's there's adequate you know disaster recovery plans, business continuity plans. Obviously, very relevant to the times right now. Um, and usually, these questionnaires are fairly repetitive. They they could be you know 100 to 300 questions at a time. So 
typically teams are going to be spending a lot of their time filling these repetitive questionnaires out. And what HyperCompli does is we completely automate that so that they spend basically no time at all getting through these questionnaires. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. And you're right now working out of Edmonton, but that's kind of because you had to come back to home base because of the whole COVID situation. But you were, where were you uh, before Edmonton? Were you in Taiwan, I think? Yeah, so I was in I was in Taiwan before Edmonton rushed back from Taiwan. Oh. But we actually, we were in Taiwan um, because we left Japan because Japan looked like it was getting kind of messed up. And uh, we kind of fled Japan for Taiwan. And then when Trudeau said, come back home, we... You know, we didn't want to roll the dice, so we 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 came back to came back to Canada. And the, I guess those are the kind of first world problems of people who work remotely. You you're just like jumping between these countries, <laughs> and yeah, I can't imagine. It's like a it must be a very different experience for remote workers all all throughout. Where it's like, you know, the benefit of remote is that you get to work from anywhere. But when this kind of global pandemic happens, like the situation of it all, are are your colleagues all like kind of back in their home countries too? Then. Uh, yeah, sort of, uh, two of them are, they, 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 they weren't traveling around. They weren't doing mm. like the, the quote unquote digital nomad thing. Um, and then one of them has just, uh, has made their way to Sydney. So, um, yeah, we're all, we're all safe and sound right now. Uh, and it's, 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 it's been a bit better too. Cause like I was working in Asia and like the hours were kind of wacky when you're trying to, to work, like we would primarily work asynchronously, but you know, it's not always super easy to work being one of the only employees in a completely different time zone, right? So being back in Canada now, it's kind of a blessing in disguise. We're, we're a lot more efficient. It's easier <laughs> to get stuff done. Yeah. And before we kind of dive into what it's like to actually work remotely and kind of the details of the product manager, I want to start off with um, the earlier side. Before your days as a product manager, I think, you know, we, we both went to the University of Waterloo, went to the accounting program together. And I think you were one of the pivotal people who actually hired brought me on board into KPMG like you didn't technically hire me but I, I remember uh during those kind of co-op networking events you were definitely very material I think in oh, no way. Make, making me uh join the firm like I think that was like one of the early memories I have of like our interaction together and so you started out in accounting but was the like, growing up was do you always want to be an accountant <laughs> uh no uh I feel like I had a pretty typical journey to get into accounting. Yeah. Um, as in like, I didn't really know what accounting was until maybe grade 12 or like a end of high school. Um, at the time when I was making decisions on where to go to school, I had been primarily applying for music programs. Um, so like U of T music, like Western music, Queens music. And I wanted to be, I wanted to be a musician. I oh, wow. No play way. Sax play saxophone. Yeah. Um, but I think like looking back, like, and, and the reason why I ended up applying for University of Waterloo for accounting specifically was that a family friend who was a few years older than me and, and she had been in the accounting program and, and introduced us to the accounting program. It seemed like it was a, it seemed like it was a great program and a prestigious program. Um, so I, I kind of threw my hat in and I, just, I decided to apply to that as, as well. Um, and then when it came to decision-making time, I think I realized that like, okay, like, I got into a couple of schools for, for music and I got into Waterloo for accounting and I was kind of taking the evaluation. Like I'm probably not going to be good enough at music ever to make anything out of it. Like the, my peers in high school were way better musicians, like way more talented, way more dedicated. I think I just liked playing music, but I didn't really like putting in the effort to become like really great at it. Um, 
so you know i catered, t- took a safer decision and, and that's how I, I ended up choosing choosing accounting at waterloo oh wow it, during your time in waterloo did you ever think about switching into a music program like leaving accounting no not really i, I took a, i took a few classes like electives in, in music like nothing that was actually performance based but like um I, th- I think i took like a musical history class and then maybe uh uh, music and technology class or something like that but uh no I, I i think once i got into accounting i decided i was going to stick with that or for, for at least for the for a few years um the way i stayed in tune with music was uh, a couple of friends who went to laurier that we played in a band together in high school so we we're just playing gigs around the city and like at bars and stuff like that and on campus so that was like it was kind of like a nice hobby to have at that point just yeah play whenever there whenever an opportunity came up yeah. mm-hmm. and so you, you ended up continuing down the accounting path you spent all your co-op terms at kpmg um you went back after graduation as a senior accountant and then you did what many don't do and you left before you got your letters right like you you left before like the time period requirement yeah. to get your ca at the time like because that's one of those it's like the classic accounting story i'm sure like you hear from your friends and i hear from my friends where everybody's like i don't like it it's not the best but i'll just stick it out until like i get my letters and then i'll decide but for you you decided earlier than that to, i'm just gonna leave and you went to join vidyard in uh kitchener in like a sales role yeah yeah how did, yeah. How, how did that uh story pan out <laughs> oh i don't know i i feel like you gotta go back to like first year university to like understand why i made those decisions yeah no kidding tell me um I think I knew after like a single semester at Waterloo in accounting that I was probably not meant to be an accountant. Um, I did really poorly in, in, in school. I just, something about the classes were not clicking with me, but I didn't have a good grasp of sunk cost fallacy. Right. So I just continued like spending more and more time in it. Um, but really like, I wasn't having, like, I kind of knew after like a semester in school and even like a co-op term at KPMG that like, this wasn't really for me. Um, but I figured I'd try to stick it out. And I think that like the mentality of like, not really giving it a fair chance, like from, from even just a single semester, I just forced myself to power through it. And so when it got, when it came to full-time, like written all the exams, but continued to know like, like this wasn't for me. So and I, I didn't really want to continue down this path. I think I just like, to be honest, I kind of gave up. So like, I, I was like three months away from qualifying or two months away from qualifying. And I kind of got in my head that I wanted to try to get into tech. So I just started interviewing and, and Vidyard had come up and it was like an entry level sales role. Um, and at the time it seemed like a big, a big step back career wise. My, my mindset was like, okay, I think I lied to myself a little bit. I was at, this is like once once in a lifetime opportunity. I cannot get a sales role ever again. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to continue paying my CA fees, and I'm going to quit KPMG. I'm going to go work at Vidyard, and if it doesn't work out, I'll just go back and, and join another accounting firm and, and finish off my CA. Knowing full well that would I would probably never go back. Um, so that's kind of how I justified. That's kind of how I justified uh, quitting with only two months to go, because I felt like there was still a safety net in, in case like things didn't work out. I was still paying my fees. I was still eligible to like complete my CA. Um, but yeah, it was, it was pretty, looking back, it was a pretty irrational decision. Like it, 
it probably wasn't the smartest move. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I, I think looking back, you know, in hindsight, we could say that it worked out just fine, like just okay. And I think, although like, yeah, like when you, I feel like when you're in those moments, it's like you can bring up all kinds of rational arguments of like why this is going to be okay. But I feel a lot of times it is really from the gut. Like I remember when I left KPMG, so I left after my third co-op term. And so I was going into my last co-op term without anything, but I called, I called the partner to just straight, straight up tell him formally that, okay, I'm rejecting the return offer. I'm gonna, I'm not going to go back. And I felt very good about that. Like it wasn't very like stressful, but it was, uh, it was on the opposite. End. Like I don't know what I was gonna do after. I thought I'd be a trader, although during that time all these trading jobs were rejecting me because I wasn't a quant. But right. it was like that feeling, just like a gut feeling of I think this is probably the right thing to do. Even though like you know I tell myself, you know the partner told me I can come back. I'll have, always have a job as an accountant. But it's like that. It's like that insurance policy you never actually plan on using. It's so it's kind of like, is it really even a policy kind of thing? Right, exactly. It's almost been just, it's the stories we tell ourselves to like, you know, make decisions easier, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, no, no definitely. And I'm, I wonder if you got this question a lot during the transition you made. Um, so like given our kind of background, the career progression that we tend to go through, like, yeah, it's a very, in any, I guess, a corporate world, people go through the ladder, right? The whole promotion ladder you go from a staff accountant senior accountant manager all that and when i left uh when i left kpmg and i moved over to deloitte in a consulting role although it was completely unintentional i didn't intend to go be in another big four um i had to start from the bottom again whereas all my friends were starting in senior accounting roles and i was a bottom analyst and then after i left consulting to go work at uh my hedge fund, I started at the bottom again as an analyst, whereas all my friends are becoming senior consultants. And I always get this question from a lot of people, like after I've also now left the hedge fund and now I'm an entrepreneur, which is quote unquote also fun employed. Um, they always ask like, what, how do you feel about, you know, seeing friends that surpass you in these like, kind of promotional scales? Like did it, has it never like worried you? Doesn't it um, give you any kind of anxiety? So I get the, these questions a lot and I've found a way of answering it on my own, but I'm curious for you, like when you were going through it um, in the beginning, like leaving KPMG to go to Vidyard in like a sales role, like what was it like during that time? Like how, and compared to that, how do you look at it now? Cause I feel like it's very different when you, when you're actually in it and then when you look back on it. Right. I think in it, I was extremely anxious and I wasn't anxious about the decision to join Vidyard. Like the team was obvious right. to me that it was an awesome team to join. And, and I was excited to work with that, those people, but I would be lying if I felt like ego wasn't taking a huge hit, right? Like gone to senior accountant, you know, like my, my classmates and my friends were like really starting to progress in their careers in that accounting world or in or more traditional worlds, right? Like they went into finance and they went into, into consulting, right? Like these are like really cool and exciting places that everyone from from university wanted wanted to join. And instead, I had like gone and became a sales development rep at a at a like a little loan tech company, right? Um, it was I felt nervous at the time, like, and I felt I felt kind of I, I actually distinctly remember explaining to a friend of mine what I do at work, and 
and sales is exciting. Sales is like an extremely challenging job to do. But when you start explaining what the day-to-day sounds like, it sounds like you work at a call center, right? And I remember feeling like kind of ashamed and kind of like embarrassed that, you know, this person is going to like make manager like at KPMG or something like that. They're leading a team. And instead I'm like, yeah, I, I like follow up with leads and like, leave them voicemails and then they're like, you know, leave, leave me a voicemail on, uh, and show me what you're saying. I'm like, it just, it just didn't feel like it's hard to explain to people that we went to school with, you know, why I was doing this, what I thought was exciting about it. And it was hard to explain it in a way that made it sound like, Hey, like we, I'm putting my education to good use and I'm doing something really, really exciting. It just, it just sounded like I took a, a call center job and there's nothing wrong with those like call center roles at all it just for people that we went to school with they, they kind of had a certain expectation of like what their careers will look like and now you're doing something so different it's hard to feel like you're you're the odd one out and you're you know like you feel like a failure or whatever um looking back though you know i, I said earlier that like it was irrational not to get my ca i still stand by that like i should have just like powered through and got it because that sticks with you for life and those are things that no one else can take away. Like whether or not you apply it every single day or apply it to your, your current job is one thing. But I think it's like, I think it's powerful to say you're like, you have a professional designation. Um, so I, I do think it was, it was irrational for me to, to not finish it. But looking back, like I, I am like not ashamed of what the path I took. And I think like at the time it, it seemed scary, but the further you get out from school, the more you realize everyone's taking a different path and everyone's kind of doing different things. And, and I think, the decisions that I made at that time have allowed me to have like a career that I'm really happy with and, 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 and I'm excited about and, and getting on the different paths that I've, I've taken since. So, um, yeah, I think I like got a little bit sidetracked from your initial question, but in short, you know, it was scary at the time and it felt, it felt, I was a little bit embarrassed at the time, but now I look back, I'm like, I, I'm so happy I made those decisions because I, I don't know what my life would be like had I spent another five years in accounting. Like, I, I don't think I'd be happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I think that the kind of picture you uh, painted was actually like very helpful in like kind of giving that insight too. And I'm curious, so like when, when you first interviewed for the sales role, like um, what, like what gave you that, I guess, kind of internal conviction that, you know, this is, this is right. I'm, I should, I should take this jump. No matter, even in the face of all the unconventional moves you could possibly make um, with the anxiety, like all that, like the, the such a strong conviction so I can actually make the jump to sales world. Like I ask because I, I don't know if, you, if I told you, but my, f- my first summer job from university was in a sales role for a startup. Uh, so nice. I, I didn't know that. I, so they called it a business development representative and i didn't know what that was but i applied and i got the job and so it was a media publishing startup that was trying to make um, digital magazine magazine interactive i I don't think the company exists anymore but then it was kind of like what you said like i would tell my friends like yeah i kind of do like i do about a hundred cold calls a day and you know sometimes people tell me to fuck off sometimes i talk to the client about his dog for about half an hour and then i try to get them to sign up on our magazine platform um, but I had, I didn't know that that was sales because what, what yeah. would I know about sales? Um, so I'm curious, like what, like for me, the, that was not a very fun experience. Like, and I, that's when I learned that, that, okay, I don't think sales is a very exciting thing for me, but 
it can definitely be a super exciting thing for other people because that's what I saw from my managers. But I'm curious for you, like what gave you the kind of conviction once you interviewed and kind of learned what the role was about that, oh, like this this sounds way more exciting. And what about it was exciting? I think it was like, to be honest, I think I went in, I accepted that role, not really knowing what I was getting myself into. I don't think I fully, just like I didn't really fully grasp what accounting was when I when I went into accounting at, at Waterloo. I don't think I really fully grasped what a sales role was until, until I actually joined. There, there's two reasons why I decided to, to take that job and none of them are really related to sales. The first reason is, the first reason why I felt confident was, you know, that friend that I said was a couple years ahead and was the reason why I joined accounting um, at Waterloo. Yeah. She actually had dropped out of accounting after third year of university and she was, she ended up in sales. So she, she had left accounting and uh, ended up in a sales role and had told me like, and I've always looked at her as a, as a mentor. So hearing about what she was doing, I was like, yeah, I feel like, you know, that would be something I'd be good at. Right. And she introduced me to a couple of people. She actually introduced me to a CA who, ha- uh, who had, who was, who was in sales, but had a CA background. And, and after talking to them, I was just like, yeah, sales sounds great, but not really knowing what sales was still. I just thought it sounded great because these people were telling me that they think I would be good at it. Mm. Um, so like she inspired a lot of confidence that it was the right decision because she's like, yeah, you'd be great at sales. Like based on what I know about you, like this would be a good path for you. So that, that was one reason. Uh, the second reason why I felt pretty confident taking that job or taking that leap was that like the leadership team at Vidyard, the people that I interviewed with at Vidyard, they were all phenomenal. And um, I, couple with them, I, I just realized that like, this is a place I wanted to be and I would do any like job to just be with this team and to work with this team. Um, so I don't know if there's anything about sales specifically that I felt confident in. I think I just was ignorant and I didn't really understand what sales sales was. Um, but yeah, that, that's kind of how I ended up, ended up being okay with that, with that decision. Yeah. Yeah. And so then if we kind of take a step, step back and from sales at Vidyard, you went to become a product manager for Vidyard and then you became a product manager for another remote company called Chili Piper until your current role as a product manager for HyperComply. And so the, the transition from sales to product manager, like I've, I've had a chance to speak to a lot of different product managers um, through the podcast, but also just on my journey as well. And the the many product managers who are not from a engineering slash technical background will have mentioned how kind of challenging it is um, to make the transition just because there are some kind of industry biases of, you know, if you're not an engineer or some kind of technical computer scientist, you, you know, you're not really quote unquote qualified to be a product manager. And not saying it's always like that, but there, I think that kind of bias exists depend, based on the empirical data I have collected from my many conversations. Yeah. Um, and so I'm curious, like, how, oh, I guess two-part question. One is, why did you make the switch to product manager? And then sure. how did you make it? Yeah, okay. So the why part, I think I knew pretty quickly that so sales was probably the hardest job I've ever done. Like it was so, so hard. Oh, why? Um, it was just, it's, it's, it's mentally, it's, it's emotionally exhausting, right? Like making cold calls, getting rejected, getting told to F off, like you said earlier, um, being stood up for meetings, being told no day in, day out. I realized quickly that I didn't have this, I, I, I didn't have the grit to do that job. Um, I, I did it and I did it for 10 months in, in, in an individual contributor role. 
But as soon as an opportunity came up to like kind of step out of like the IC role and move into like a manager role, I took it. Um, so I actually moved into a, a manager role and I was managing a sales development team. And I did that for two years. And that was a really fun job because yes, you're in the sales department, but you're not, you're not selling yourself. You're kind of training and coaching a team and helping them develop in their careers. And why I, why I particularly like that role was because I was working with like primarily new graduates, right? People fresh out of school, uh, people that were starting their careers. And it was fun just like helping guide them and mentor them and, and help them get their career off to a good start. But I wasn't really selling anymore. And, and I guess I was like looking at my career path from sales development manager. Usually if you want to continue going into sales leadership, like real sales leadership, or I don't want, not real sales, like continue climbing the sales leadership ladder, you need to go into like enterprise sales. And I would have to leave a manager role and kind of go back into individual contributor and then, you know, actually invest in that part of my career. Oh. And I was like looking at it like that. I'm like, I don't want to do that. Like, I just, I'm not good at it. Um, I, I, I don't have like the, the drive that makes a really good sales rep. Sales reps are incredibly competitive. They just love winning. And I, and I, I didn't really feel that pull. So like maybe like a year and a half into my sales development manager job, I was like trying to figure out what to do next. And again, I didn't really know anything about product management, <laughs> um, but I, I started talking to the product manager at Vidyard and we would have these long carpool rides back and forth between Kitchener and Toronto because both of us had that kind of homes in, in both cities. And the more I talked to her, the more I realized that like, the things that I like about sales development management, like outside of the coaching side, like I like the the operational side of, of, of leading that team, like thinking through the numbers, thinking about the strategy, the direction, how do we become more efficient? How do we like win more? Um, I like the coordination, like the different departments, like marketing and product, like just like understanding where we're headed, like for, as a company and, and working with the marketers to understand like, you know, what are the campaigns we're running? Just kind of like all the, the non-sales part of sales development management was actually my, my favorite part. And um, kind of speaking with her and learning more about product management and learning more about what she did. Like at the end of the day, she was driving the direction of the business. She was like thinking about like, where do we need to head as a company, right? And what are the features that we need to build or the products that we need to build to support that? that seemed really exciting and sexy to me, like as a, as a role, like I was like, wow, that's, that's cool. That's like, that's getting into the, into the driver's seat and, and, and moving a company forward and making sure they continue to innovate and all that stuff. So that's kind of like how I ended up thinking about product management as a, as a, as a, um, as a career path and, and how I kind of landed on it. Um, I guess like to answer your second question, which is like, how do you get into the role? I totally agree. It is really hard to get a product management job. Um, if you're just like going, you're applying, you're just applying to post things and you're, and you're, you're trying to give it someone to hire you. Cause product management is definitely one of those jobs where people expect you to have experience, but it, very few people actually have experience. So it's like, yeah, we need five to 10 years of product management experience at a scaling SaaS company, you know, that's worked with designers and engineers working on really complex problems, blah, blah, blah. It's like, there's like a handful of people in Toronto that, have done that so you kind of need a company to take a chance on you and and i think the easiest way to do that was was applying internally so like like working at starting a video or working in a junior role kind of working my way proving myself in other departments so when it came time to like ask like the team like hey i think i want to do product management it was really easy to get support um because like i guess at the time 
keep them focused and that I care about the team that I'm, I'm working hard and that, you know, I, I'm able to do good work in, in, the, in the roles that I've previously been given. So I guess that's how I, how I decided to be a product manager and then how I ended up being a product manager. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. Sorry, Terrence. I think um, maybe it's the, the place you're sitting or something about your mic where it's kind of going in and out a little um, with oh, the shoot. audio. It was just me, it was, that, uh, it was that just short moment when you're just doing the final backdrop of it, but I don't know if it's the internet. Yeah, let me, <laughs> yeah it might be this hotel internet. The uh, the uh, self isolation life. It, you don't have a lot of choices in terms of uh, in terms of internet right now. <laughs> yeah, well, I think let I, me know. Is this better? Yeah, it, it's actually better. I, I appreciate that. And for for the listeners, this is legitimate stuff that you go through when you're actually going through podcasts and when you actually are some kind of a remote employee. I actually want to yeah. talk about the remote part too, because you, you actually managed to change your role from an on-prem role where you actually be working at Kitchener to a remote one where you end up going to London, UK and working from there. So uh, for, cause some people believe that, Oh yeah, like I got to leave my job and find a remote job if I want to work remotely, but you were able to orchestrate it while being an employee of a company that isn't traditionally a remote only company. So how did you orchestrate that? Yeah, it's, it's kind of the same way I orchestrated going from sales into product management. It's like, just show that you're dedicated and you want to do good work. Right. And that you do do good work. Um, so I guess like I, at the time when, when I went remote, I'd been with the company for four years mm. and, and went through a lot of growth with them. And just, I was a team, like, you know, every day came in, hustled and was a, you know, was a good team player, I guess. Um, so like moving to remote was very similar to moving to product. It was just like, Hey, you know, you know, me, we, we work well together. This is something that I want to do. Like, would, are you willing to support that? Right. And, you know, fortunately enough, like, I think, I was in a position where people were extremely supportive and, and the leadership team at Vidar was extremely supportive. Like, thank you. Like I, I owe a lot to them for, for that support. So when I, when I had asked to, to move to London, um, you know, <laughs> it was kind of like a, yeah, sure. Let's, let's figure it out. Um, so I, I don't know if it was a ton of my own ability or anything to, to make that happen. It was just investing time, you know, working hard, showing that I'm committed to the, committed to the business. And then, and then kind of explaining my rationale for why I want to move. Like I had never really imagined I'd live in Kitchener for four years. So um, leaving Waterloo was like, I, we're probably never coming back to this, this, this city. Right. Um, so like, I just explained to them that like, I, I don't think I, I see a long-term future in Kitchener and I, I want to, I have an itch to kind of get abroad and to see other parts of the world. Um, and I guess they were, they were supportive of that. I don't know. There's not, that not too much of a story there, I guess. Well, I think yeah. you're very honest about it though. I feel that's something yeah. that kind of gets passed over a lot where like, at, at least, at least with my close friends, I always tell them, just be honest. Like what's the worst that can really happen if they fire you, then you probably never would have wanted yeah. to be, be there anyways. And I, I feel like even when I look back, a lot of the close relationships I've made with mentors or just kind of all the people I've worked with, managers, partners, all that, I got close because I was brutally honest about what I wanted to do, what I thought about the job. And like I tell people, like when I was in consulting, 
I think within my first month or two, I told our leading partner that I'm probably going to leave here and I'm going to join a hedge fund. I'm going to be applying for hedge funds all all the time. So I want to be on projects that's going to help me get into a hedge fund. And he's like, all right. And so that, <laughs> like, that's how my consulting career started. <laughs> and that, that's scary, man. Like, it's like, it's, you know, I like doing that right out of school and being so upfront with people, I think is like kudos to you for, for being willing to do that. I don't think a lot of people, I think it takes a while for people to get comfortable to be able to like tell people what they want. Right. right. And to be honest with people. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, so I think, yeah, I think I obviously didn't get that on the, like in the beginning, I think the great thing about our program was that we got to do co-op. And so we were practically full-time employees at the age of like 20. And yeah. I learned, I learned it from the accounting. There's like the hard way where, you don't say anything and then just keep on taking the work, taking the work. And then I ended up like exploding and just completely burning out. And that's one of the reasons I left, like, you know, the classic pulling too many 120 hour work weeks. And then I, like I straight up told my manager, I was like, yeah, so I punched a hole in the wall cause I was extremely depressed. And I think I have to go yeah. see a therapist and I was telling him all the stuff and he's like, wow, I had no idea. And I was like, oh, well, yeah. I'll probably I'll probably quit and then he was like oh wow and then we're still friends to this day I catch up with him every quarter so <laughs> that that's that's awesome that you're being honest <laughs> honest with them like I've I've I haven't punched a hole in the wall but I remember like and this is not there's nothing wrong with accounting like no no I don't, I don't say this to, like a lot of people are love that work and they do really good work and I think it was just a bad fit like I remember after some I drive from like Brampton to Markham you know, work like 16 hours, get in my car and then just like scream before, before driving back to Brampton because I need to get it all. I was still living with my parents then because I was in co-op. I would just like scream in my car to like calm down. And then I would drive back home and then say like, Hey mom, Hey dad, like I'm okay now. Um, that was, yeah, dude, I, I, you're bringing me back. Those are those are crazy times. I never told anyone that. Like I was never, I was never honest with anybody. Yeah. At the firm, and and they probably would have reacted perfectly fine if you if you had right. You, those that's why you have those people coaches, like you know mentors and stuff. Um, but I I just bottled it up. I just complained to friends all the time, and that that's just you know, what's the point of complaining if you're not going to do anything about it, right? So, right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think. Yeah, I think I I just got really lucky because I think. It, when I first in my first audit, I just copied everything from past documents, and then uh, my manager at the time, who was new to the firm, grilled me. And she said, "Do you, do you understand what you're doing?" And it, and then I told her, "No, I I don't. I'm just copying because I want to get out." And then I wrote in my performance evaluation. They, you know, they asked like, "Oh, what are some good things you did and some bad things, like some things to improve on, quote unquote?" And I wrote down. I copied all my pri- all prior documents without knowing what was going on, and I lied. I lied to my manager in the beginning by telling her I knew what I was doing, but I really didn't. And then my performance coach came back and he said, "This is the best review I've ever written. I've ever I've ever read. This is so honest. That's funny. But I'm gonna change all the words so you don't get fired." And I was like, "Okay." <laughs> and then that kind of I think brought up on the cycle of, "Oh, I think honesty works out." And then like, you know, one of the reasons I punched a hole in the wall is because I would. I when I was young I was diagnosed with like anger management issues and so it's something I've been living with for a while and I I think now I've kind of fixed it through a lot of like meditation work but during the time when I talked about it to um, my partners and managers at the time like one of the managers was like oh yeah I have anger issues too like when I first started audit did you know I told the client that he was 
just stupid and I got yeah. pulled off the entire audit, but I didn't get fired. And I was like, really? He's like, yep. And I was like, wow, didn't know that. That's crazy. We're, we're all humans, right? Like that's yeah. at, the, at the end of the day, like everyone's got their own thing going on. Like you don't, you, you like, sometimes you look at these like leadership and you're like, man, they, they got it all figured out. But the reality is that everybody's got these crazy stories of like, you know, slip ups or mistakes that they made or like stuff that they're struggling with, you know? Yeah. And it's kind of a tangent to kind of prove the point that honesty works. Be honest because you, you'll probably get the things you want if you're honest about it. And yeah. In, in terms of like the slip ups and yeah, like all the things that actually like go on in the backwards. I'm curious, like from the journey from, you know, Vidyard to now what you're doing now at HyperComply, it, from, from someone looking out, they'll be like, oh yeah, that kind of makes sense. Yeah. He, he was a product manager, like he was in sales at a tech firm. And then obviously he goes in product management. That makes sense. And then he joins a remote company and then a remote company as a product manager. And from the outside, like everyone always kind of assumes like things are linear. Like when I talk to non-tech people, they'll look at my career and they'll say, oh, you're an accountant and then a consultant and then an investor. Oh, that makes sense. It's so linear. And I'll tell them, no, it's not linear at all. But you don't really know that until it actually goes through it. And so I'm curious for you, like which part of your career did you, like on that journey, did you ever feel like this is not linear at all? It's, it's actually quite unconventional. Like it was a weird hurdle to jump through. Uh yeah i think like like it wasn't like i said it wasn't figure made it pretty easy to move from sales to, to product management but that felt like a weird extremely weird leap like the skill set that you develop in, in sales is very different than the skill set you kind of need in, in in product so that that was that felt like kind of a zigzag like i think at that time like i was investing pretty heavily in sales and sales leadership like the way to really accelerate your compute, uh, career is to invest in one area and get really good at it, right? Mm. But like, you know, doing like a couple of years accounting, you know, a couple of years sales, now I'm like switching again. Like people are gonna look at them like, dude, like just stick to one thing, right? Like get good at one thing, and and I and I did it, and uh, and I and I, I made another shift, and it's not, it's definitely not a progression. Like it's not like from here to here to here. Like I'm signaling with my hands and just realize we're in audio, but like it's not, you know. I don't think I climbed a ladder in any, any sort of directions. It's really has been a lot of laterals, um, right? Like get to like senior accountant and then you kind of like step to the side and you start in different departments, completely different, right? Like it's not, it's not a, it's not progress. And then like, you know, from sales management to, to product management, it's not, it's not like a step up. It's, it's just something completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that definitely, it, people, I, I don't know if people look at that and feel like it's linear, but it was, it was definitely pretty, pretty freaking random. Um, I think like where I started getting really confused was like after Vidyard and when I decided it was time to leave Vidyard, like I think that was the first time where I was like, I really don't know what I want to do and I don't really know what direction I want to head in. I, I knew I needed a break, uh, a break from Vidyard and I had been doing, I'd been doing product and like growth stuff for, for a couple of years. So I was like, I felt pretty confident in that kind of role, but like, I just, I wasn't sure what the right next step would be. So like, um, it, it was evidently not linear because I only I only ended up really staying at Chili Piper for for a few months. Like it 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 you know it didn't work out. Like I just I didn't think it was the right mutual fit. Um, and I was I was just overall a little bit burnt out from from working in general. So I don't know. Like the last the last like you know 
six months, like basically post Vidyard, I've been pretty like, pretty, um, there's been a lot of uncertainty and like a lot of confusion and a lot of like, what should I be doing right next with my life? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I think the linear, the linear move would just continue being a product manager at bigger and bigger companies. Like, and so like now, I guess like it was again, like another pretty random move, like moving to hypercomply. So I, I took some time off after Chili Piper, like two, three months of just not working. And then, and then a couple of friends of mine from Vidyard started a company called started hypercomply. And even though I'm a product manager now, I'm really just like a, when you're working with four people, like you basically just do every, they do whatever you need to do. So part of my day is like product management. Today I spent a bunch of time thinking about like our marketing, right? You know, other times you're like doing sales, like it's uh, it, this is like true randomness. Like every, I actually think it makes the most sense because like I've obviously gotten kind of bored of things pretty quickly. So like going into like a, a startup, like a real startup of four people, like just doing a bit of everything every day is like, is, is perfect for me. But I don't think it, I don't think kind of like tying it all back. I don't think the this progression like really makes any sense either, you know? Uh, I I just try to optimize for, like, I don't really optimize career at all anymore. I, I just optimize for like day-to-day happiness and, and enjoying. And I, I just want to be happy when I'm working. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. That was like a rambly way to answer your question, but. But it, it ain't that yeah. the truth though? Like, I think. Yeah. It, like what I what I've what I feel from at least when I look at my career and the many careers that I got to interview, thankfully on this podcast, is that yeah, many are just kind of like, you know, if people can't see my finger pointing, but it it is very nonlinear. Like it goes from A to like B, which is like completely up north, and then you hit yeah. C, which is like a complete right turn somewhere, and then D is like down somewhere past like an arc, and then you just make all these weird points, and you kind of end up somewhere, but it's definitely not a line. <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely not a line. And usually where you end up, like hopefully where you end up, you're like, yeah, this makes sense. Yeah. I feel like it makes sense. Right. But just a lot uh, of yeah. iterations. Yeah, it's hard to game. It's hard it's hard to game it and like be like, this this is a I I have a lot of respect for people who are able to do that. Like there are people that we went to school with, and maybe they'll say the same thing that it wasn't linear, but I look at their careers and like, you did a really good job. You are now partner of an accounting firm. Like that it feels like you, you made, you, you knew what you wanted you went and got it. Like a lot of respect for those people. And you know, other people like us, maybe we're just kind of like zigzagging around. We don't really know. We only know what we want to do for now. Things change quickly. And yeah. You know, well, yeah. I, I actually think that in, in one way though, um, it's, it's hard to know whether those people that appear like they had it all together, actually know that they want to do that role. I think yeah. like you talked about how, if you if you can if you try to imagine yourself five years late in accounting, if whether you would have liked that or not, and now it's kind of like that for me, where I see a lot of my friends in senior manager positions who have to decide, am I going to be a partner or not? And most of them are there because they don't know what else to do, but it doesn't mean that they're any happier. I've also had mentors who got the partnership offer and then turned it down because they realized that they were sh- chasing like their father's shadow and mm. realize that once I got it, I realized I didn't even want it anymore. And right. I think those, those kinds of moments kind of, for me, at least makes me further believe that life actually should be in more of like a zigzag. It's just, yeah. maybe we kind of get the idea of going on adventure kind of beat out from us too early when we're in 
a very systematic thing like school, for example. Not saying there's like the absolute, but it's something I've observed for sure, like on on this like weird zigzaggy pattern, what is called like a career. Yeah. And but I'm curious, like when you mentioned how right now you're at a four person company, it kind of seems like you're you kind of continue to scale down. Like Vidyard, when you left, was a couple hundred plus people, right? It was. Yeah, yeah. And then you went to Chili Piper, which was, I think, a dozen or a couple dozen or so. Yeah, like 30, 30 somewhat people, yeah. Yeah, and then now you're a four-person company. Yeah. Yeah, I think, like, yeah, I've, I feel like startup, like true startup, right, four people is where you get to put a lot of your skills to test. And that's probably why I want, well, the real reason why I wanted to do this is because I want to work with, I want to work with our co-founders. Like they're great people. I worked with them. At, I worked with them at Vidyard and they were, they were all awesome. Um, and, you know, people I, I've, I've always wanted to work with again. Um, but yeah, I think like going smaller and smaller was just kind of, you know, I had, I had done the scaling with Vidyard and it's not to say Vidyard is at its it, it's it's end. Like there's still so much more for them to do. But I wanted to like kind of remove a lot of the the parts of my day that were 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 related to like scaling a business, like adding in process, adding in like new like different layers of leadership, like um, you know, get rid of all that kind of like stuff that is really important to growing a business. But it wasn't things that I really wanted to work on. Like I wanted to work on just like executing it getting shit done every day so that's why i think like that's why i decided to go smaller it was just like you know maybe if i went to the chili piper size company like i was i would be able to like maybe you know a lot more hands-on like we're not really focused on on the process development within it within a company we're, we're focused on just growing as much as we can as quickly as possible um and then and then with 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 hyper comply yeah like we're not spending any days figuring out how to like document more effectively or like you know um how to like secure budget it's just like go 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 do 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 mm. um that that's what i i thought that's what i i, I guess my hypothesis at the time was like that's why that's the environment i wanted to be in which is why i ended up like starting going down and working at a, at a smaller company mm-hmm. um yeah when you when you left chili pepper like you, you only you said you stayed only for a few months and how did you combat that inner feeling of i'll suck it I'll, I'll stick it out like the you know the feeling that kept you in accounting for so long like how could you how, how are you able to yeah. make a decision uh relatively quickly it was quick than the fact that i was only there for three months but it was it was a pretty painful decision to make right like i thought about it for a long time it wasn't just like wake up and and do it like it was tough like no, no, nothing against that team. Like team is amazing and a lot of great people there and they're working on some really exciting stuff. I just, something for me just wasn't clicking, like for me personally. Um, so when I left with that kind of any work, there's a couple of things. Like I, I felt like it wasn't clicking. I felt like I was a little bit burnt out. I needed a break. And then I just started thinking about like, what do I want to optimize for at this moment in my life? And what I decided was like, I wanted to optimize for just taking a break from work. <laughs> um, so I guess how I made the decision was like, I just, 
I just decided that like, Hey, like, I'm going to, I'm going to put myself as number one right now and do what I, what feels right. Um, and like, yeah, it's, it's painful. Like it's, and I guess the doubt that was going through my mind is like one, how do I explain to my next employer that like, I only worked at a company for three months. Like that looks, it doesn't look bad. Like a lot of people have, like move around a lot, but people have biases towards people who've done that. Right. Like who've only stayed for a short time. They're just saying immediately ask, like, did you get fired? Why'd you leave? Are you not a team player? You're not committed. Yada, yada, yada. So that, that was, that was, I was nervous about that. Second thing was, I was, I was leaving a team hanging, right? They heard me and they, they invested in me. And they wanted me to, to help out and, and build out these new products. And, and because I've done it in three months, but I did feel like I was letting them down, which, which I did. I, I let them down. Like that's, that's the, rea- the reality of it. Um, but it was, when I kind of stripped all those doubts and worries away, I was just like, what do I need personally right now? And what I really needed for my own me- mental health, my own sanity was, was a break from work. Hmm. Um, so I think once I came to terms with that, I came to terms with putting myself first and talking to mentors and talking to friends. Like it felt like it felt like the right decision, <laughs> and and I ended up feeling I ended up building myself, uh, making myself feel comfortable making that decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's it's like you know it, right? Like you you feel it and you know it's the right decision. It's just how long does it take you to actually kind of make the call and actually execute on that? Yeah, it was. All- it was a lot of sleepless nights for sure. Yeah. Um, you just feel, you feel really bad in those scenarios, right? Like, yeah. I hate letting people down. I thought it's probably to a fault. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Uh, and so like right now, um, you know, doing what you do, what, what is it that like really excites you about being in this like product manager role at like a four person company? Like, What's exciting you now more than like the other roads? We're in an exciting market. We have built something that we hear customers need and want. Uh, it is a technology that we are seeing drive a lot of value for our customers every single day. And that, that keeps you going like that. That's extremely exciting. When, when you know your product works and you, when you know you have users that get a lot of value out of your product, like, it just means that we could build something. We can build something serious, and we could build. We could build a real big business out of it. So I think that that, that opportunity, where we're heading, and like the, the potential, is is really is is getting me exciting and, and and driving me to do good work and, and to work with this team. Um, the the teammates that I'm working with are all phenomenal, amazing people, also super focused, all ex- extremely easy to get along with. We're all on the same kind of mission. We all want to. We all want to build something big and 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 have an impact on on. I mean, have an impact on this on this space in the, in the software world. So, um, I think th- those are the two things that are 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 making me making me excited. Um, maybe the last thing is just like there's no roadmap, there's no path to figure out how to how to grow a company effectively. Like there's things you can read online that like people say like you, you need to do, but every like every company is different, and every company is is no exception. So I think just the length of clarity on what to do next is it's really challenging, and that challenge challenge is like the challenge motivates me mm-hmm. um there's no playbook we can't just copy something and and, and then we can't follow prior year there's no prior year right you know what i mean um so yeah, those 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 are the, those are the things that I'm, I'm i'm most enthusiastic about i guess and yeah. on on that note like on on the things that really excite you i feel it's like that with every role where for every role that has all the there's always the exciting points but then there's also the the points where like there's like the shit you got to eat in everything you do, right? Like, yeah. whether it's entrepreneurship where Musk always talks about how it's like you're chewing on glass 
all all day um although there's yeah. all the other perks of the excitement of entrepreneurship and for you what like in in your role what's the shit that you you have to be willing to eat just to have all the other good stuff come with it oh man not a lot of <laughs> honestly not a lot of bad stuff yet like i know that sounds like fluffy and as if i'm like trying to make sure my my current employer is happy with me but the reality is like there hasn't been a ton of like real problems you know what i mean like we we i guess the shit we have to eat as a as a business is like okay we we've got a bunch of customers in pipeline prospects in pipeline we want them to close because if we we begin to close and you know we're every deal is significant to us right now. So obviously like the blips in that process, like sales is not easy. Like there's always going to be things out of your control. Like that sucks, right? When you, when you lose a deal or when you, a deal isn't moving as far as quickly along as you, you want it to be like you, you eat that for sure. Um, I think the thing that I'm struggling with right now, and maybe this isn't like, this is not a negative thing. It's, it's, it is what excites me, but you know, working at a Vidyard, you have, you have data to work with, right? We have lots of users. We can like dive in and we can make what we feel is like informed decisions. Right now feels like a ton of guesswork. And I am nervous about the bets that we make. And I'm I'm nervous about the kind of lack of data I have to lean on to make it for decisions. I think like that's been like the hardest thing. And that, that's like more of like, you know, what, I, what I'm learning about myself is like, I make good decisions when there's numbers to like look at and make those decisions. I struggle with like, decision-making when there is like, you know, no, nothing to lean on, no, like no data points to lean on. You know what I mean? Maybe I'm more of a traditional accountant in that sense. Like I, I like the numbers. So that's been a learning process for me that I, I think I, I think I feel, I feel very uncomfortable with, with having to make decisions without, without, without data to back it up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not really a bad thing. It's a learning experience, but that's probably the thing that makes me most un- uneasy while working at a, at a small startup. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's a, that's a very fair point. And something I, I did want to touch upon, um, on a, on a separate note, it's what, you know, you've been working remotely for how many years now? Like two, three years? Uh, two years, two yeah, years, two, four years. Yeah. And so when, when this whole COVID thing happened, for me, nothing had really changed in my work life because yeah. I've been remote working for two years, and I'm, I feel like it's probably relatively similar for you. But what what was like the first you know six months like when you end up when you chose to work remotely? Like, what was that adjustment? Like, I'm just curious. Yeah, um, it was tough, um, and I think it's harder for some people than it is for others. Like for me, it probably wasn't as hard as it could be because I was working remotely with a team that I'd spent four years with. So like sometimes when an employee is hired and they're one of one of few remote employees, they're doing like out of sight, out of mind, right? Like you're not in the office, you get left out of meetings, you get all that stuff. But I knew how to like inject myself in, into the business and make sure that people remember I exist. So that wasn't hard. One of the things that I found most challenging was like loneliness. Like I did not realize how much, I should have known, but most of my life in Kitchener was built around the people I worked with at Vidyard. Some of my like really close friends or people that I worked with at Vidyard. My social life was with people I worked at a Vidyard. I was getting kind of exhausted by it, like because like my life was just Vidyard all the time. So I pulled myself out and I did not realize like what kind of like the vacuum that would create of like, oh my God, my social life's gone. I moved to a new city. I have no friends. And now I'm I have no coworkers to even talk to during the day. Like I 
it was just it was it was really isolating it was really it felt, it felt extremely lonely um at first um other things that were really challenging i think with working remote was like you don't realize that like when you have meetings and you're working in an office you have an opportunity to get up walk to the next meeting grab a coffee grab a drink of water you know then go to the next meeting and then there we have three floors so you might have meetings on the second floor or the third floor or the first floor and you'd go up and downstairs you get some like movement in holy crap like going remote for the first time and like i was just on zoom calls basically like eight hours a day sitting in one seat and i developed like lower back problems um i did not realize like what that was doing to like my my sanity i just felt extremely extremely exhausted um that was that was tough like just like not really knowing how to like physically be remote like how to like optimize for my physical environment um and then i guess the last thing was like and this might be unique to just me specifically but like i went from working in eastern time zone to to, to london right and that meant that i was like working five hours ahead of my team for the most part which meant that like i would typically work well it's like the pm like every day so like it was you know, I still get up normally because I want to get up at like 8 a.m. And, and, and get my day started at work. I know 8 a.m. is not early for you. It was early for me. Um, you know, get up and, and have a proper work day. But I would end up just working until 10 p.m. every day. So just it was I got burnt out. Like mm. um, it, it was tough making that making that making that adjustment. Um, funny enough, though, like with with coronavirus, like COVID-19 right now going on, I actually do think, even though I'm used to working remotely, I have been impacted, like in terms of, in terms of how I work. Because before COVID nineteen, I work remotely, but I don't like work remotely because I want to work from home. I actually don't like working from home. I like working at coffee coffee shops. I like working at co working spaces. I like getting in a house and just like working in different environments every day. So in London, I would I would bounce around quite frequently. I like go to the co working. I would go maybe one day I work at home. Maybe one day I'd go to like a cafe. Maybe another day I'll go like work at a library or whatever. So I, I would always change an environment up, and that that to me gives me a lot of energy. Um, then moving to like now being in the, in the scenario where we have to work at home, like my wife and I were working in the same space all day long. I, I need to get out. Like it's actually been challenging. I've been finding my focus has decreased. I've been finding um, a lot of the same like loneliness is starting to kick in again because I just don't see anything else other than like you know these four walls all day long. Um, so I, I, I empathize with a lot of people who are going from working in office to working from home. And I, and I encourage them like remote work is awesome. Building a complete distributed team is awesome. It's a great way to save money. It's a great way to like work with people from all around the world. Working from home in the current situation we're in, is not, it's not true remote work. It's like not optimized, right? Like people traditionally didn't work at home with all their kids running around. People traditionally sit in their like in a small studio apartment with their significant other like, you know, all day long, both clanking away at a laptop, like that's not normal. Um, so I, I think a lot of the problems that people are having today, I'm also having. Yeah. That's actually a very good point. Um, I'm actually glad you brought it up because I, so this, yeah, like, honestly, like I, I said, it would, it's like, the, it's kind of the same deal, but you're right. It isn't because I, I thought it would be normal. And it's awesome that you bring it up because I was thinking if I was weird that it wasn't normal. Um, yeah. Because when everybody started working from home, like I, uh, so I always host weekly poker nights at my home, and I have a bunch of guys come in. Half of them are remote, and half of them are 
at office yeah. workers. And so the office workers are just where they begin a conversation with, it's great, man. I'm not doing anything. I kind of logged in once in a day and didn't do anything. And, you know, the woke guys are like, now you guys are making us lazy. And we kind of were joking about that. But yeah, like it, it's true. Like the whole kind of routine kind of got cracked up for me too. Cause I'm not like today, I didn't go to my coworking space like I would normally do. Yeah. And even when I go to a coworking space, I always take my two o'clock walk. Um, I always go yeah. for like a 30 minute walk and I come back. And like you said, constantly changing environments. And I think, yeah, like it's more so as I think about it, you, you and I, or like, I guess me personally, like I've definitely been blessed to have experienced remote work enough so that I can deal with this kind yeah. of environment to some degree. Cause I started just only working from home and I couldn't take it anymore. And then I went to coffee shops and then I upgraded to co-working spaces. So right. I, I know what this is like, but yeah, I can definitely try to, I can empathize with people who are forced into this kind of block. <laughs> Yeah, like I've gotten messages from people saying like I absolutely hate this. Like I can't focus. Yeah. I like you know there's always something grabbing for your attention. Like I don't know how people do it with kids, right? Like if you yeah. you have two three kids at home, like I don't know how you get anything done. So, um, yeah, I guess to anybody listening who's like ever considered remote work, like this is not what remote work is. No, like, remote yeah, work can yeah. be extremely productive, right? Like what I love about remote work. It's like the way you work, like you can work asynchronously. You don't have to be on calls all day. You can, you know, um, work from anywhere in the world, right? You can work with people from all over the world. Like that's the exciting part. Like being forcing an entire office to like adjust within like a, a week, to like working at home is, is just not it. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. Yeah. And I love that disclaimer. And yeah, as, as we kind of hit upon like the, fi- the final moments of this interview, I think this is a good way to kind of end off. I, I want to ask you, if if you could think back to the uh, 20-year-old Terrence, so then this is a Terrence who is probably yeah. in his third co-op term at KPMG, or like his third year at university. And he, if you were to like look at what you are doing right now, your life right now, what do you think uh, that Terrence's emotional reaction would be? Would it be proud? Would it be confused? <laughs> would it be upset? <laughs> I think if I looked at what I was doing, just like job wise, right? I think that parents would be extremely confused and concerned because it just didn't fit what I was thinking a career should look like at that time in my life. But if I told, you know, that past me, like how happy I was, you know, how much I was enjoying the work I was doing, enjoying the randomness of the, the last like five, six years post accounting, I think. I think I'd be pretty happy about it, about that. Right. Like some of you just like looking at it, like from the outside in, like, it's like, that's a pretty random career. Like, why did you not stick with accounting or why did you not like go into like consulting or like investment or whatever? And then maybe, maybe he'd be disappointed, but um, I'm in general, I'm general, very happy. And I'm like, I'm happy with the work I'm doing. I'm happy with the decisions I've made. And uh, I think I'd think younger me would be happy, happy with that as well. <laughs> yeah, no, that's awesome. And if you could give you the, if you could give yourself that 20 year old self um, advice, what kind of advice would you like to give him? Uh, go to, go to your lectures because <laughs> I, I failed fourth, fourth year and I had to repeat it. So if 20 year old me, third, third year of me, like I, I wish I, I didn't have to repeat a year of university. Um, just, you know, I think the, I think what I really needed at that time was to pause 
mm. and to reflect on what is it I want to, not necessarily what I want to do career-wise, but what, what kind of life do I want to have, right? And what are the things that I really want to like optimize for, for myself, like for me, right? I think I was optimizing a lot for other people or what other people said I should be optimizing for, but I wasn't, I never really took a second to like challenge that. I challenge people because I think everyone tells, tries to give you the best advice they can. I never really questioned like, Hey, maybe this advice doesn't apply to me. Right. Or like these, these suggestions from other people is, is not who I am. Right. I, I just never took a second to think. I just kept going and going and going and just doing whatever else was doing. And, and I think if I had, if I had taken a second to think then and, and to reflect and to really understand myself, I might've made different decisions and maybe I wouldn't be screaming my car, you know, after, after a day's worth of work. Um, so, yeah. No, that's a, uh, that's solid. And yeah, I think everyone would be doing themselves a favor by using the opportunity we have right now where they might have some time to think while they're at home and taking the time to pause and yeah, maybe just sit with your thoughts for a bit. I feel a lot of people are, they get a little scared about sitting with their thoughts and it's something we kind of sometimes get used to. Um, but Terrence, thanks for so, thanks so much for coming on the podcast, man. I, I really appreciate it. And it's awesome that we can chat together uh, while you're over there in Edmonton. It's not as far as the last time when you were in Taipei, but uh, I want, yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, uh, it's great. It's great to have you at the podcast and I love hearing your story. So thanks for doing that. Thanks for, thanks for having me, Daniel. Thanks for letting me ramble for, for an hour. <laughs> awesome. All right. Take care, my friend. All right. Thanks. All right. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope the story was inspiring to you. It, hopefully, it also helped you expand your perspectives. Hopefully, it also made you question the default path that you might have been going on or the default beliefs you might have had. And maybe now it'll make you even think about doing something about it, doing something different, maybe challenging yourself, being courageous, who knows. But regardless, I'm really happy that you took some time out of your day to listen to this fantastic story with my guest. And if you would like to somehow, in some way, contribute and help support the podcast, and maybe even just be part of the community that I'm trying to build with the greater OMD Ventures platform, really think about being a stakeholder in the platform. And the quick way to do that is to go to my website, oldmandan.com, and go to the stakeholders page. I believe it's oldmandan.com slash stakeholder. And the link is also down below. And that's how you can figure out how you can subscribe, follow to get more updates on the free content, but at the same time, also donate and donate by actually just buying me a coffee. That's just how I put it. And you can buy me a coffee a month, coffee a week, or coffee every day of the year. And think about it as the way that, you know, if you wanted to chat with me, you might just bring me out for coffee and buy me a coffee. Or if you wanted to bring one of my guests out to chat, you might buy them a coffee. So I'm just think of it as I'm the service that's doing that for you. So you can just pay me in coffees. <laughs> Don't worry, uh, everything will still be free. It's just, it would just really help if you would like to show your support this way so that I can use the coffee money to buy myself actual coffees and also to buy my guests actual coffees at, and use the leftover money to actually grow the platform as well as even keep it operationally alive as well because it 
all this stuff isn't really free and it does take a lot of time to build it as well as operate it and hopefully grow it further so your support would be amazing if you would like to contribute and so yeah just check out the website go to the stakeholders page and read the different kind of benefits you might even get as a stakeholder all right thank you